from theathletic.com, Sam Amick. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, David. How are we doing today? Uh, hate that question. Hate it. Pet peeve of mine. I don't know how you're doing, Sam, and it would be so presumptuous for me to be like, oh, I'm doing great. What if something terrible? Oh, you hate the we part? Yeah, because I get yeah. when, when you go to a restaurant, I've had this rant before, and somebody says, hey, you know, the waitress says, how are we doing? Now, I'm always polite and say, oh, great, but what if what if before the, the – what if before the waitress or waiter got on 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 you know their shift? Uh, what if their significant other left them? And then yeah, you know, how are we doing? Well, great. Well, now I'm assuming you're doing great because I am, and I feel like it's rude of me. I'm so doing. You, you, Go ahead. I'm going to push back. I just I'm a little sad to hear you don't prescribe or subscribe to the kind of the you know the idea of, of you know universal human connectivity. I, I feel like we're in this together, and and it's like. I'm taking a pulse on you, and, and no matter what's happening in your life, like I'm part of that. You know what I mean? That's like, true. So well, you know, that's, that's kind of that's where I'm coming from. I don't need all the details, but okay. you know, if, if if you need to tell me that your wife left you, that's fine. Yeah. We can do that on the air. Yeah. Um, oh, that'd be a fun conversation, <laughs> wouldn't it? Sam, by the way, I got to tell you something about Melissa. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what do you even do, Sam? What if I was like, hey, Sam, yeah, by the way, Melissa left me last night. Like, do we still even talk basketball, or do we just have it out on the air at this point? I don't know. This is this is even more off the tracks than normal. That's fine. How are you today, Dave? Hey, let's Sam. Start, I'm, let's start over. I'm doing fine. And you know what? Your point is valid. I'm going to rethink that because also, maybe even if you did have a bad day, you're not going to say, how are we doing? You're going to say, how are you doing? So I guess the assumption is you're having a good day so far. I know it's early. It's bright. Have you had breakfast yet? I have indeed. Okay. First oh. cup of coffee is in, um, so we're good to go. What was breakfast? Oh, uh, uh, eggs and toast, like always. <laughs> little little fried egg and toast. Any dreams to report? Yeah, I had a weird one. Uh, I, I, I'm, I mean, jokes aside, uh-huh. um, I'm seriously. Uh, I swear to you, I think I'm really, really tired of not going to games. Yeah, because um, all, all of them are just being out like everybody else. All of my dreams are like road trips and. Um, games and so i went to new orleans in last night's dream um nothing particularly exciting happened other than like i think upon arrival it was like this weird in between where uh, i was gonna go get food and then instantly realized i couldn't because of the state of affairs so that doesn't make a lot of sense so i don't know why i went yeah. to new orleans in the first but you know anyway great road trip though I good love- road trip Love Don't it. take your wife there when she's seven months pregnant. I can uh, tell you that uh, from, from firsthand experience. Well, yes. I, I will tell you uh, almost a year ago uh, in a couple weeks, uh, my wife and I were in New Orleans, and uh, we were in the first two Mardi Gras parades, uh, third week of February. And uh, then we went on that, that this cruise after, and that's I'm pretty sure that's where I got COVID, as a matter of fact. True story, by the way. I was sick for a wow. week and a half right after – being at Mardi Gras in New Orleans where COVID was just beginning and we thought it was just a, 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 a funny little disease and little do we know now a year later. So uh, hopefully Indeed. I see. Yeah. Um, to, to pivot and shamelessly plug like I always do. Um, nice. Tomorrow's athletic will have an interesting conversation with Utah jazz, big man, Rudy Gobert, where we actually, we kind of go down memory lane as far as him being the first guy to be publicly known to get COVID and, and how him and his team have kind of gone through that whole stretch, obviously doing good things now. But, you know, yeah, that whole March um, period of time seems like a, a very long time ago. Got him to uh, – I'm, I'm was he reticent to revisit that part of his life, or did he have things to get off his chest? 
No, we didn't revisit too much. He he's done some of that. He did a, a sit down interview with the Washington Post when he was in the bubble. So I kind of, you know, knew going in I wouldn't go that far down that road. That wasn't really what we were doing. But truthfully, what I kind of leaned into and wanted to give him a chance to speak on is that you know I mean I like Rudy and he's always been very uh, accommodating with me and we are the outlet that wrote, you know, that, you know, had sources telling us at the time that his relationship with Donovan Mitchell, you know, looked to be possibly unsalvageable. And that was this catch, you know, this word that kind of came to define them at the time. And, and, you know, it, it I do find it funny because listen, we write good stuff. We write bad stuff. And sometimes we write stuff that it, it's not a matter of it missing the mark. People thought that at the time, people who were very close to the situation sure. and, but that you know that group pulled through, and so um, last week when the Jazz won their 11th straight game, Joe Ingles, obviously kind of their not only you know important uh, role man, but a guy who is a you know widely known smartass, um, talked about the win and said, oh, and some people said we were unsalvageable, <laughs> and like they're still <laughs> they're still carrying it, uh, and with good reason. It's it's become bulletin board material. So we kind of talked about like how, like how did you pull this off how did you and donovan fix the, the kind of the fracture that was between you and and so he was he was good it was pretty good stuff and and they look fantastic i mean they lost to denver the other night but they're having a very good season they are and um sam Amick from the athletic joining us this morning sam I, I, for me a big part of the turnaround in utah this year is uh mike conley is a completely different player than he was for them last year what are you um seeing uh has changed in conley's game this year as opposed to last year in utah I mean, his comfort level, um, I talked to Mike early last season, and I, I really don't ever remember talking to a player um, who was not only down on his own play, but seemed to be taking it so personally because he felt this weight of expectations having gone from Memphis to Utah. Like, he wasn't playing well. He knew that he was an X factor, and he knew that his poor performance had everything to do with them struggling at the time. But we talked about the fact that it's like after all those years in Memphis for him, because the thing people don't think about is that, you know, you're not only talking about um, learning your teammates and the nuances of the system and Quinn Snyder, their coach, but terminology. And he even dropped a few specific examples at the time of like, you know, uh, when, when somebody in Memphis says this, it means that, but when somebody in Utah says this, it means this other thing. And he just had to get comfortable and he's doing that. He's shooting lights out. Um, you know, they they just have more balance to their roster. Derek Favors being there is a fantastic kind of one-two punch with Rudy down low. Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench has been really, really good. Bogdanovich doing what he does. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell having a very good year. So, uh, But Conley looking like a guy with shades of that kind of borderline all-star that we've known for a long time has been big. Sam Amick with us from The Athletic. Listen, I'm not saying the Kings are the hottest team in the NBA, but – I'm not saying they're not. Uh, one, four, or five, two points away from winning five in a row. And uh, De'Aaron Fox has now had back-to-back games where he has just been uh, absolutely amazing. They're 9-11, and 11, just two games under 500 in a season that was, uh, gee golly, all but lost a couple weeks ago. Yeah, they've played some uh, poorer opponents, I guess. But uh, are you uh, – Are you? I always ask you, you're local, but you've got that national perspective. Are people starting to – a, take any notice of this, probably not. And B, what about De'Aaron Fox? Is there real um, undercurrent 
that this might be the year he breaks into the all-star mold or, or you know, we're kind of homers here too. So I'm, I'm just curious what your, your view is. Yeah, I mean, he's been fantastic recently. Uh, I tweeted last night that I you, you can see the development. And I mean, you know, listen, the fourth quarter scoring the last couple of games has been tremendous. You know, 17 last night. I think the Pelicans only had 19 in the fourth. Um, that the, the one play that you tweeted that I, I did watch several times that you described as poetry with the spin on the left side. And, and I mean, if you if you look at it, you know, in, slowly, even in the slow-mo video, you know, he gets by three guys and even his primary defender tries to catch up with him on the backside and can't get there. So he's on a different level. It's fun to see. Um, are people noticing yeah, a little bit, but I mean, the the league itself is, is really kind of muddled in the, in the middle and they're now part of that group. Um, but you see good things and, and the effort level that Doug Christie talked about a little bit on the telecast last night is what jumped out at me about the New Orleans game. You know, Rashawn Holmes in particular, I think he ended up with five or six blocks. Six. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, just meeting guys at the rim, coming on the backside. Um, he's been really good. You know, Halliburton obviously just makes guys around him better. And, you know, even with the Bagley tech that was seemed pretty weak and him getting bounced late, that's a big win. And so, I mean, it's, it's progress, right? Like, we've talked before – about how this season, I think, in the eyes of, of their first-year GM, Monty McNair, is, it, you know, results always matter in pro sports. But, I mean, it is it is really like, are we having a foundation that's being built? Are we having progress? Uh, and the development side matters a lot. I mean, if De'Aaron Fox doesn't take a step forward this season, then that is a problem for their plan going forward. And, and right now it, it looks like he's doing just that. Sam, I want to stick with the same kind of premise we were talking about with De'Aaron Fox and switch over to Rashawn Holmes. You look at his box scores. You look what he does on the court. He has been so damn good for the Kings this year. Is he another guy that from you know other teams' perspectives is kind of emerging from, hey, that was a sneaky good signing last year to like, wow, this guy is starting to get into the top caliber of starting centers in the NBA. I don't know that he's there yet. It's just, I love his game. It's just a matter of, you know, he doesn't check as many boxes as some of the better starting centers in the game. Um, What he does, though, he does extremely well. And I I think almost, listen, from a cultural standpoint, the Holmeses of the world, the Halliburtons, that's how you create, you know, a team, so to speak, you know, with a capital T, if that makes sense. Like, you know, the personality and kind of the will and the spirit of these particular players. It's funny. I, I think I texted you, Dave, about this. I uh, had lately binged uh, the Ted Lasso show yes. on Apple TV and just freaking just absolutely loved it. And one of the things that show captures on this, you know, European soccer team, English soccer team is, you know, just the different personalities of these different athletes. You've got your guy who's out there literally, only thinking about, you know, his stats and his career and his individual purpose. And then you got other guys who, who know how to be part of a team and to lift people up. And I think Holmes and Halliburton, you know, guys like that and Harrison Barnes is the same way, um, you know, are, are big. And so, yeah, I mean, Holmes is really good. You know, I, in a perfect world, it's funny. I mentioned the jazz earlier with Rudy and, and favors, you know, like the, the Kings find a way to go get another big who does something complimentary so that, you know, in those minutes that Holmes isn't out there, you don't have any backslide defensively. Because we know, I mean, their defense remains, looked at it yesterday, it's still on pace to be the worst defense of all time. So, you know, that part's got to get short up. 
Well, it's funny because over this five-game stretch, we were saying, of course, we always pick stats, but if if the Kings, the points they've given up over this last five-game stretch, if they've been doing that all season, they're the number two defensive team in the NBA. That's how crazy (laughs) it's been over the last few games. Um, You've got Fox, you've got Halliburton, you've got Rashawn Holmes, uh, Harrison Barnes is having a a career year, Uh, and then you have Marvin Bagley, who is uh, healthy, knock on wood, who is progressing. Uh, who I, I think a lot of us are really, really proud of and happy with his progress. I know that you, um, I'm sure you saw over the wire uh, his dad get on Twitter earlier in the week. And, uh, you know, I'm curious, Sam, it really bothered me. It really bothered a lot of people. And then a lot of people were, you know, hey, screw it. He's a fan. Who cares what he says? I am curious when a parent gets vocal. Is that something that really just only bothers media and some fans, or or can that be an issue not only in a locker room but with value in the front office? I mean, your perspective, haven't seen this before. Yeah, I mean, the, the parent dynamic, um, and in fact, I, I've thought about writing a story about this, a league-wide story, uh, and to be honest, kind of brutally honest, like the only thing keeping me from doing it is because I have a lot of respect for the sensitivity of that topic, and it, I haven't really figured out how to navigate that you know, without insulting people's parents along the way in the kind of way that I'm not necessarily comfortable with. Sure. But like, it is a problem in the league. Uh, and I'm not just speaking in Sacramento. Um, you know, there's, if you jump out to Atlanta, um, you know, like Trey Young's dad is, is kind of, you know, notoriously vocal and vocal is not bad. It's just a matter of like, you know, really involved and, and having something to say about everything. Um, you know, that's one example that comes to mind, but the AAU kind of development in basketball over the past however many years did create this thing where parents were even more of a partner at different times than they were just a parent. Um, and they then feel invested. They then feel like parents slash agent slash coach all wrapped up in, into one. And then they feel, I mean, you know, I, I really don't know any other word other than entitled. Yeah at a time when they are not really supposed to feel entitled anymore. Like once the, once the young, you know, once the player goes professional, you know, like that word is, is a big deal professional. Like I, even at 19, like you gotta, you gotta say goodbye, give him a kiss and wish him well. And that doesn't happen. Sure. Um, at least within the, you know, and I'm only speaking about like, to, you know, the parents involvement inside the, the team environment, but that's just not, the way the game is gone. Uh, and I, yeah, I do think it, it runs the risk of, of affecting personal dynamics because even if, you know, like in Marvin's case, even if he doesn't echo some of these ideas or thoughts out loud internally, you know, his choice for whatever reason to not kind of denounce some of these ideas, um, you know, I do think it leads people internally to wonder where his head is at. And then it just kind of, I think it creates, uh, a, a bit of a disconnect and that's like we talked earlier about you know what a guy like Holmes brings to the table or Halliburton or Barnes and I mean it's it's trying to focus on the group uh, instead of just your situation I mean and they, these guys all know yeah of course they're all trying to get paid as much as possible eventually and and succeed individually but the nature of the game is the nature of the game you got to have all hands on deck and that's hard to do when you have an outside voice that, that's a little bit on the inside, you know, kind of impacting you all the time. And 
I want to expand on that because I, I think it's fascinating what you said about about thinking about writing it, but 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 having that having that moral conscience creep in. And 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 when I spoke about it earlier this week, same was the same thing. Like you want to you want to throw all respect to the fact that hey, first off, dads aren't always present. You know, number one, there's not always a great fi- family dynamic. Number one, number two. By all accounts, and I'm not just specifically talking about Marvin, but it, it, you've got a, a child who grew up in a pressure situation and made the NBA, and they're not out, you know, uh, at least here. there's it, It's not a club issue. It's not a uh, – you're not going out and getting in trouble. And even ki- even these NBA players, as you mentioned, living with family, like, yeah, to you and me, it's like, man, you're making millions of dollars. Like, go get your own house and do your own thing, but – there's also a part of me that respects, like, wow, look at that family dynamic. They're super close. They're they're keeping everybody out of trouble. You know, you go home and you got the, the, the parents there to talk to, and they've been with you from day one and shield you from the media and the the hangers on and and the rock star lifestyle. Like, there, to me, and I think I'm hearing a little bit from you like this. It, there's a lot about these dads or parents in general being involved, whether it's Marvin Dadley, whether it's uh, LeVar Ball, wh- whomever it may be, that I sit back and I admire it. I respect it as, as, a, as a fan and as a father. I really, really respect it, and it's sacred. But then you have the other side, which is when does it go past the great stuff and become a distraction? And ultimately, when is it hurting the player? And when is it hurting the team? I, compl- I I guess my point is, Sam, we're just venting here, but I completely hear you. It is an unbelievable juxtaposition. It is. And, I mean, I, I think where I land is just personal style preference. I just do not see any value in any scenario in airing things out publicly and getting personal, you know, like Marvin's dad has been. Sure. Um, yep. I really don't. Because, listen, I covered the LeVar Ball situation pretty closely, was in L.A. all the time and can confidently say that nothing he did during that entire circus that went on where he would not stop going after people with the Lakers, ironically, Luke Walton, um, nothing that he said or did helped Lonzo's situation. And guess what? At the end of the day, Lonzo had to play. And right now he has a, like, we don't really know what direction it's going to go NBA career where his brother is already making more noise, LaMelo, you know, than Lonzo has and Lonzo and and it comes down to the play and it comes down to, you know, him finding his way individually. And, you know, and, and so nothing LeVar, I mean, my God, we forget how much noise LeVar made. I mean, it was next level and none of it helped. And so, you know, um, I, parents are always going to want the best for their kids. You and I can relate to that. It's just a matter of doing things publicly. Like I remember, if you go back to, you know, you're talking about a, a guy who's a two-time MVP with Steph Curry, you know, with his father having played in the league, you know, I guess to give a quick comparison, you know, Del Curry had a lot to say going into Steph's draft about where Steph was going to land. And, you know, now it's kind of a funny subplot, but was not necessarily high on him going to Golden State. Hmm. Um, you know, and they were at the time kind of trying to push things to the New York side. And, you know, so it's like there's always some of that. But, you know, Steph's dad didn't jump on social media and say, you know, we don't want to go to the Warriors or whatever. It's just there's a threshold where um, parents are always going to have something to say with good reason. But, you know, this one just I feel bad for Marvin because, you know, he's shown some promise again this year, had some good moments. 
And, you know, every time he has a couple steps forward, then there's like this public step backwards because of the optics that come with, with his dad speaking up. That's Sam Amick of The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com. Read all about that, including uh, his upcoming visit with Rudy Gobert. Looking forward to that and so much more, whether it's Sam Amick, whether it's Matt Barrows, Jason Jones, so many of our friends at The Athletic do wonderful work. Go to theathletic.com. It's uh, not just great for you. It's a great gift for the sports fan in your life. Sam, appreciate you coming on early, buddy. Uh, We'll talk to you next Thursday. Enjoy the big football game this weekend. Thanks, gentlemen. Talk to you.